Welcome to the Medical Muse podcast. Discover the humanistic aspects of physicians and scientists as they describe their career paths and any advice they have for current medical students. Each episode, we interview a new guest and discuss the future of the field. This is the Medical Muse. happy and excited to have uh, Dr. Wigdor here uh, on the show. Um, Dr. Erica Wigdor is an internal medicine physician. She attended medical school uh, here at Nova and did her internal medicine residency at Broward Health Medical Center. She's now a practicing physician who places a special emphasis on preventative medicine and nutrition, all while sharing her exciting journey with the world through her informative, honest, and fun Dr. Diaries Instagram page. Dr. Wigdor, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so glad you guys asked me to be on this. Um, I think it's great what you're doing and it really is an honor to be part of it. Thank you, yeah, we're, we're excited to have you. Um, so do you wanna just go ahead and kind of tell the little the audience a little bit about who you are and, and um, what you do? Sure, so I'm originally from South Florida, grew up down here. I am an internal medicine doctor. I work in an outpatient office. Um, I see patients on a daily basis, usually for chronic conditions or wellness visits. Um, I do run a social media page, obviously, that's talking about medical information, both to help educate people on health and also obviously to help people in the medical, going into the medical profession. So do a little bit of all of that. Um, yeah. That's pretty much it. My passion is really in prevent preventive medicine. So I focus on that a lot. Okay, interesting. Um, so when I met you for the first time, it was because you came to Austin and you were good friends with one of my friends uh, for the Austin City Music, uh, Austin City Limits Music Festival. And from my understanding, you've been to Coachella and a lot of other music festivals. Is that correct? It is correct, yes. How did you become interested in music festivals? And to you, what makes a good music festival? Um, I've always had a large passion for music, like forever, forever. I've always gone to concerts, even like in high school, occasionally in middle school, but back then it was like Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. But <laughs> um, yeah, I've always had a love for music. I listen to music when studying. It's just something that, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just something that I really enjoy doing and it's something that is a really great stress relief for me so when music festival started being a thing I was like this is excellent because I can get to hear a bunch of different people that I like all at once and it's awesome um so I started doing that and um Austin City Limits was always one of the ones on my list just because I know they have like a huge range of performers so that was always something I wanted to do and then when I met Eric and he's like oh I'm, you know lived in Austin I was like great this is gonna work out really great um but yeah I don't know I've just always loved it uh to me a good music festival is honestly just any festival that has a good lineup and good good food so that's all I really need <laughs> well Austin usually seems to have both of those so that's a good choice I haven't yeah. been to Coachella yet so I can't comment on that one but Coachella is honestly probably the best one really yeah Raj, we might have to, we might have to go to Coachella. <laughs> I actually went to Coachella during my surgery rotation and during residency for the first time. Oh, wow. Yeah. On time so, schedule, huh? <laughs> I was like, you know what? I, I already bought my ticket, so I hope they approve of me going, but I just used some of my PTO days and figured it out. Cool. There you go. 
That's amazing. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about uh, how, what got you interested in medicine and your journey and, and when you decided that um, you wanted to be a doctor? Sure. I, my dad's an optom- uh, optometrist. Oh, I don't know where I was going with that. Optometrist. And when I was little, he used to take me to the office with him and I would like play with all of the different tools that they use to look at the eyes and um, always thought it was fascinating. And I always used to put my name on top of his on his door. So it would say Dr. Erica Wigdor instead of Dr. Stephen Wigdor. And I, so this was at like the age of eight, honestly. Um, And he just instilled a lot of really cool like science knowledge in me. We used to go to the Kennedy Space Center. We would go to different science museums. So I've always had that part of me that I've always been interested in. And then I think as I got older, I started thinking of what professions I could do that would have some form of science and also help people, which I've always really liked. Um, And I really never honestly considered another medical profession aside, maybe for like five minutes, I thought I would want to be a chef, but that was really the only other thing. but yeah, I, I, I've always wanted to be a doctor, I guess, ever since I was a little girl, and I kind of never really changed that path. Interesting. And did you go straight to med school after uh, after college? Yeah, I um, I got into a couple medical schools. I knew I wanted to stay local. Um, Nova was really high on my list, so when I got that acceptance letter, I was like, awesome. And yeah, I just went straight through. I didn't take any time off between college, med school, residency just kept going. What does, uh, did you tell our audience a little bit about what internal medicine is and um, what was the moment uh, where you, um, when was the moment where you realized that that was what you wanted to do? Um, Yeah, of course. I thought I wanted to be a plastic surgeon (laughs) initially. And I think, and I tell this to anyone who asks me this question also, I don't think you really know, unless you're like dead set on something, I don't think you really know what is the right field for you until you go through your rotations, because there's no way of, even though you might be passionate about something, there's really no way of knowing what you'll really love until you experience it firsthand. And to be hundred percent honest, I really hated my surgery rotation. And I was like, there is no way, there's no way this is for me. So I kind of just did like an elimination game and was like, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. And then I had my internal medicine rotation and I was like, wow, I love this. I love being, you know, in the hospital. I love seeing people who have a huge range of different illnesses. Um, I loved working with the team. I loved being like the center. So if I had to, if we had to send to a specialist, we could, but they would still, in theory, come back to us to really, like for the whole well-rounded um, portion of their healthcare. So there were so many things I really liked about it. And I kind of just, I guess it was during my rotations that I realized I liked it so much. Um, and I think that's what happens to a lot of people. Like you go in thinking you're gonna really like something and then you might change your mind. So I always say to have an open mind when you're going into rotations too, cause you never know. Mm-hmm. And did you have, did you do your uh, rotation at Broward Health Medical Center? I did, yeah. I did a fourth year. My, my core um, was Mount Sinai mm-hmm. and I did a fourth year rotation at Broward, um, obviously because I wanted to meet the doctors there and have them get to know me a little bit. And I was living in Fort Lauderdale at the time. So 
I figured if I was going to stay in Fort Lauderdale, it would make more sense for me to be in Fort Lauderdale. And so that's why I did that. And I really, really enjoyed it there. So, yeah. We're in the middle of ranking our list right now so that we can find out where we'll be next year. So we're all kind of excited about that. Um, that's awesome. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about the versatility of internal medicine and the different kind of settings in which um, an internal medicine physician can practice in? Yeah, so internal medicine is a great field. Also, if you really like general medicine, but don't know if you want to specialize yet, because there are so many options. Um, you can, so to start out, you can, if you're going to just stay internal medicine and not do a fellowship, you can either work as a hospitalist in a hospital setting, or you can work in an outpatient setting. Um, and that's already like a great, um, contrasting option for people who don't know what they want to do yet, what they want their schedules to look like and stuff like that. And then furthermore, if you want to do a fellowship, you can be a cardiologist, you can be an endocrinologist. Um, what are some of the other ones? There's so many and I'm blanking yeah. right now, but there's a ton of options. Mm -hmm. um, nephrologist, um, pain management. I mean, there's just so many options. So it's a really good place to start if you think you might want to do something else um, and just haven't decided yet. And you work as a primary care physician in an outpatient clinic, is that correct? Yeah, I, I originally, um, during residency, really enjoyed being in the hospital. And then obviously towards the end of residency, I kind of decided I wanted more of that, not seven on, seven off, like a lot of hospitalists are, and just have like a regular Monday through Friday, nine to five weekends off. <laughs> um, so that kind of steered me towards outpatient. And I also really wanted to have more continuity of care with my patients where I would see them over an extended period of time and not just while they were in the hospital and that's it. Um, so at the end of my residency, I kind of decided I wanted to do outpatient over inpatient. Okay, so that would um, that would be, if you wanted to be a hospitalist, that would be maybe a reason to choose internal medicine over family medicine or is that not correct? Can both do that or? Yeah, so both can do that. Um, Internal medicine does get more inpatient training than, out, than family medicine does. And family medicine does get more outpatient training. The other thing to consider when you're considering those two fields is that internal medicine can only see 18 year olds and above. Mm -hmm. Family medicine can see kids. And also family medicine does rotations through pediatrics and OBGYN during residency and internal medicine does not. Um, okay. So it's a little bit different. While there are a lot of overlap, it's, it is a little bit different. Okay. Also, oh, during your residency, you weren't doing any OBGYN, so um, that's not something like a part of your the scope of your practice now. Then I guess um, it can be. You can choose to do that, and some internal medicine doctors do Pap smears and all that stuff in their office. It really depends on the doctor. Mm -hmm. um, you do get trained in it to an extent, but it's not like a required rotation that you have to do. Okay. And during residency, do you have elective rotations like you do in medical school? you do towards the end, yes. Okay. Like your first year, your intern year is just what they tell you it's going to be. Um, oh. And then I, I wanna say your second year you get some and then your third year you get a couple more. Okay, which year was your favorite? Oh God. Um, probably, I mean, probably third year just because, well, it's hard. Third year is great because you have more um, independence 
mm-hmm. you also have a lot more responsibility because now you have a team under you that's training under you and you're the senior resident. So intern year is definitely the hardest just because you're learning everything. Um, maybe second year, just because you're like kind of like that middle person and you don't have the full responsibility yet necessarily, but you're not, you're not miserable. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything that you picked up during your training uh, for internal medicine that, you know, was kind of unexpected or, uh, you know, something that um, you wish that you had known earlier? Hmm. Not really. No, I mean, I just, I think during training, I realized that, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say something I picked up during residency, but you learn a lot of things in med school and when you actually experience them firsthand during residency, it makes things stick a lot better. Um, so that was something I guess you could say kind of picked up during residency. You just learn things easier. You remember things more than just by reading them in a book. So um, you'll get that too during your clinical rotations as a med student. But when you're a resident, I think it's a little bit more because now you're the one treating and doing all of the stuff too. Um, so it's, yeah, I guess that's what I would say. Do you remember your first patient under your own license and were you nervous? Um, I can't say that I remember my very first patient, but I do have a few patients that I still see that were like some of the first that still come see me now. And um, yeah, I was definitely nervous. <laughs> now that you've seen um, over and over and you have a relationship, do they know that they were like pretty close to being the first on your list? Or Yeah, they know. They know one of them loves me. She's awesome. Um, she'll even say like, I was one of your first patients. She knows. And they, they're just great. I, I love the relationship that you build with people. So that's awesome. But I also joined a, a practice that had four other doctors in it. Mm-hmm. So in doing that, I had a lot of people to ask questions to if I needed it. And mm-hmm. that kind of helped ease my nerves a little bit, just because I had that reassurance that they were there if I needed anything. That makes sense. So what are some of the ways um, that you've been able to, I guess, uh, allow your practice and what you do uh, to fit your personality? Because everyone is so unique and yeah, you can have a bunch of internal medicine doctors, but each one has their own kind of spin on how they, you know, approach their patients and their practice. How do you do that? And and, and what are ways that you keep it exciting for yourself? I I love that question, actually. So personally, like I mentioned before, I like to focus on prevention. So I think educating patients is really important. I get a lot of people who come to me that they say that they saw someone who did something for them, they didn't understand why. And I think having a conversation with your patients and actually explaining to them in simple terms that aren't like crazy medical jargon, why you're doing the things that you're doing is so, so important because it's their health and it's their body. And they, not necessarily that they should be um, the ones making the decisions because they don't know what you're, you know, deciding on, but they should be part of the decision-making process, right? Like they should know why you're starting a medication or know when it's time to go on a medication versus lifestyle changes. All these things are things that should be discussed with them and inc- and have them included. So I think that's something that maybe sets me apart, not from all doctors, because I know a lot of doctors now do stuff like that, but definitely from a good amount of doctors that just either prescribe a medication or do something without actually explaining and, and having that conversation with their patients. You know, what's funny is I've met people here down in South Florida. And when I explained to them that, I, that we're starting a podcast, their, their 
first thing has been, oh, you should see my doctor. And I'm like, who's your doctor? And then they've said you, at least two different people have said you. Oh my God, no way. <laughs> I love that. That's great. That makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just because, you know, just putting things out there on the internet with, with the podcast, I guess in their head, they related it to to what you're really good at. And that's your, well, first of all, good at being a doctor, but they know you also from your Instagram presence. So how often, if ever, do you get patients that find you because they first saw you on Instagram? So initially, like literally none, um, because I was just getting people through word of mouth or from like reviews online or anything like that. But so really initially not many at all, but I would say over the past couple of months, it's definitely grown. And I'll get some people that say like, oh, I drove from here to come and see you because I found you on Instagram and I loved what you were you know, talking about or someone who was seeing a different doctor that wasn't really the kind of doctor that they were looking for and switched because they found me on social media and really liked you know, the information I was putting out there. So it's nice because usually when you have a social media platform, you really only get to interact with people on the social media platform but now that i'm actually getting to interact with some of these people in person it's really cool mm -hmm. are these people just like by chance of you know people that use social media a lot and maybe that would follow you do they have a certain age or like typically younger maybe less than 40 or are you seeing all of them finding it um mostly yeah i would say mostly like 30s to 50s there aren't yeah. many like you know, 70, 80 year olds, I don't think are on Instagram, but yeah, it's mostly like a younger demographic. Yeah. So follow up with that. Um, so do you mind just telling our audience a little bit about uh, Dr. Diaries and why you started it and um, how it's been so far from the time you started to now? Yeah, um, I started my last year of residency. I actually started because another resident who I'm friends with still showed me hers and I was like, and she's a dermatologist and I was like, this is really cool. This is a great idea. This is an awesome way to educate people. Um, I never really thought about it in that sense before. And so I just kind of started posting. My initial posts were more um, like discussing different diseases and just giving information about them. And then I kind of started posting more lifestyle content too. So it was like health and lifestyle. And then it kind of just evolved into what it is today. And now it's more of like a health tips, motivation tips, some of my personal life, um, travel stuff, because I love to travel, not that I've gotten to do that at all in the last year. Um, but it kind of evolved into like an overall type of page with a bunch of different stuff. Um, and the main reason that I do it now is just because I get a lot of messages from people like, honestly, that I've never met that are just thanking me for motivating them because it's a hard path to medicine. I, if I do say so myself and it's nice to have some people there when I was a med student, I didn't have that, you know, we had Instagram, but it wasn't like what it is now. And I had really no motivational people to look at, to say like, Oh, if they can do it, then I can do it. So that's kind of like where I'm going with the whole um, reason why I'm still doing it. So I didn't I know what, go for it. Right. So how, how did you build that? So for us starting this podcast, I mean, I think Dan was a little bit more confident than I was. I was super nervous and I didn't know what to expect to put, you know, our questions out into the public like that and, and put my face on camera. Like, how did you get so comfortable um, being able to put in, put out all that knowledge and uh, be vulnerable to the public 
um, you know, with your personal life and your medical knowledge. I mean, that's incredible. You, thank you. Um, you just kind of have to do it. I mean, you, there's always going to be people out there who are going to have opinions on your life and on what you're doing. And I don't know if you saw, I recently posted on Instagram, like the pros and cons of having a social media page. And one of the cons is definitely having to deal with some negative people. And you just kind of have to like either brush it off your shoulder or ignore it. I mean, cause it's going to happen eventually and putting your life out there leaves yourself open for criticism. And as long as you know that going into it and you're like fine with it and just, you know, block the haters and ignore the rest. So it's not so bad. There definitely are days when it's worse than others. And you just get a comment that really gets to you or something someone says that really bothers you. But at the end of the day, you know, what kind of person you are and I think that's all that really matters at the end. Mm -hmm. Do you remember, so when you posted like your first, first post, was this a new, did you have Instagram before? Or was this a new account that you started? It was a new account that I started. I do have a personal Instagram page. That's a private page that I am keeping for like, I don't know if there's ever like children that I don't want all over the internet kind of thing. Um, but yeah, this was, this one particularly was a new page. So do you remember when you made like your very first post and then just waiting to see, okay, what's going to happen? Is this going to get traction? I would imagine it didn't happen overnight, but maybe faster than you thought, or how did that? Whole um, no, in the beginning, it was super slow. I posted it. I posted my page from my private page saying like, Hey, if you're interested, go follow this account. Cause I'm starting a doctor account. So I had a couple people that transferred over, um, from my personal page, but not a lot. And then from there on it was just really it just grew based on like me engaging with other people I would find other people in the medical community and reach out to them not I don't I'm never like a believer in like hey follow me I'll follow you back I don't like that but I do believe in like growing relationships with people so I would start messaging people and really getting to know them and then little by little people would follow me back and that's kind of like how I started to grow. And then of course, there's always like the giveaways which help growth and little things like that. And um, what else? Those are the main ways, obviously. And just putting out good content, like content that people wanna read because a great thing is when you have content that's so good that multiple people share it, then it gets seen by others. So that's like the main way obviously of growing growing a page when was your following big enough where you're like wow this is surprising I didn't necessarily think it would get to this I think when I hit 10,000 followers I was going on a bachelorette party with a couple of my friends and we were sitting at the airport and one of them was like how many followers do you have now and I said 10,000 and it like kind of like hit me and I was like that's pretty cool I guess it's not like a large number that's like a pretty large number yeah. um and then ever since then, it's kind of just been like, I don't know, kind of like surreal. Like, mm -hmm. I, I never know like what is a big number anymore, just because I feel like there's so many influencers out there and there's so many influencers with huge followings. So to me, even though I feel like I have a lot, I also still feel like not, like I'm not there with like some of those big dogs, which I'm fine with. Like, you know, the more you get there, the more time, the more time you spend on it and the more it consumes your life and stuff. So I don't care. I'm not ever going to be one to say like, I want to reach a million followers, but, um, 
yeah, it's, it's all about perspective, I guess. And definitely hitting the 10,000 for me was like, this is pretty cool. <laughs> so yeah, I think so. So like you, you have your personality, um, your personal life, you have your personality as a medical professional. Did you have to create a kind of new one to be a medical professional on social media or <laughs> was it pretty easy for you to flow into it? Um, I would say it's pretty easy. I'm kind of just, I always, I'm a firm believer in just being yourself. Um, and if people like you, great. If they don't, no big deal. But, and I kind of am the same, like, you know, you, you said personality between being a medical professional and not the only difference between being a medical professional and my personality at home is I probably curse less in the office <laughs> and around my patients and, um, a little bit more just put together, but to be honest, I'm pretty much the same person either like at home and at the office. I joke around with my staff, like we have a good time. Um, I joke around with my patients and we have a good time. So I try and be like the same. I don't ever want to be a completely different person in different aspects of my life. Do you feel that social media, do you feel that social media gives you an opportunity to set, give certain messages to help people heal and move forward that you may not be able to do in the clinic? To an extent, yes. I do think people turn to social media a lot to find information about health. Um, and I think I just am able to reach a larger audience than I'm able to reach in my clinic. So that definitely makes a difference. Whenever you were talking about just kind of being yourself on social media, so I definitely don't have a big following on social media. I just have a regular following. But whenever I post things that are just kind of me being silly and stupid, like how I normally am, that's when people that I don't even know comment and laugh. I'm like, what? That's what you like out of all the things I posted this last month? <laughs> yeah, it's so, I couldn't agree with you more. And honestly, another thing about that is that you should never not post something because you don't think it's going to do well. Because mm -hmm. I've had posts that I've taken so long to write that I've put so much effort into that have gotten like no traction. And then posts that are like silly, like what you were saying, that people love. So mm -hmm. you never know. You should just, you know, that's why I say be yourself and do what you like. And if the people are there, great. And if not, it is what it is. One thing I like about your content is a lot of times there will be some sort of, you know, something going on in the news that can somehow relate to medicine or people overreacting about politics or something. And it's like I sort of have the idea in my head. I just haven't articulated it. And then I see your post and it's like she articulated exactly what I felt. I just didn't know how to say it. Yeah, it's. It takes, I mean, I liked writing before I started my social media page. So the writing part I, is not like crazy difficult, but I sometimes feel like I have a roadblock too. Um, there are times where I won't post anything for like weeks at a time, not maybe not weeks at a time, but like a week at a time, because I'm just like, there's nothing in there that is worth coming out. Um, but then sometimes there is, and that's when those posts happen. So it's just a matter of like thinking about what you want to talk about, writing a draft, maybe waiting a day, going back, rereading it and editing it a little bit and being like, I don't know why I wanted to, that sound, it doesn't sound good. And like changing it a little bit and then posting it. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's not always like super, super easy. It takes, it takes a little bit of effort. Mm -hmm. So how has it changed recently now with like the development of TikTok and all these other cool little fun apps? Are you still focusing on Instagram or do you 
you know, have a little space for all of them or how do you manage that? Um, Instagram is definitely my number one source for posting. I did a lot of TikTok, I would say over the summer, last summer, when I was really slow, we were slow at work. People weren't coming to the doctor because of COVID. Nobody wanted to, you know, go in for their wellness visits. So the only patients that we were seeing were like sick visits and emergencies and stuff like that. So I had a little bit of extra free time in the evenings and stuff. And I started dabbling in TikTok and that was awesome and so much fun. TikTok, I think is really great for like comedic relief um, where Instagram, I think is more like serious educational posts, which TikTok can be too, but it's definitely more of like a funny platform. Mm -hmm. Um, so I did do that for a little while and loved it, but now that I'm a lot busier in the office and getting home like a little bit later at night and not really having the same amount of free time that I had before, I have definitely not posted on TikTok and have pretty much just stuck with Instagram. Um, mm -hmm. The only honest reason is because Instagram to me is where I started and I think it has more of a chance to to educate the age demographic that I'm also looking at. TikTok I think is good too, but a little bit of like a younger demographic, which I think my content resonates a little bit more with um, people who are, I guess, going to the doctor as an adult. There's a lot of great pediatric people on TikTok, which I think is awesome because they're educating the younger demographic. And that's also necessary. But for me, I think Instagram is more of like my realm. Gotcha. And you can put like cross post, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've posted a lot, a lot of my TikToks on reels on Instagram. So mm -hmm. yeah, you can cross post. It's just super time consuming. So how have you, um, what, what opportunities have you found from, you know, just starting your Instagram, whether it be like, kind of like you said, reaching out, typing other people, sending them messages and developing friendships or sort of collaborations. How have you managed that? And how has that helped? That part of Instagram has been great. I've definitely met a ton of people that I would not have met otherwise, even like local people in South Florida that I wouldn't have met otherwise. You know, there's a whole um, group chat that we created that's like South Florida med girls. And it's a group of girls that I literally never would have met if I didn't have this platform. And there's physician assistants, med students, doctors, um, nurses, in this group and we've had like meetups together where we've hung out together and it's really cool because we all have the same passion for medicine and it's great to connect with those people because I mean after med school I hate to say it but everybody moves <laughs> so you might have like a couple people who stay local but most people move so the only people that you have in medicine that you're close with are the people you either work with or the people that you meet otherwise. So that has helped me meet other people in medicine, which I love. And then I've also gotten to work with some really awesome brands that are doing some great, great things in the world, giving back to communities and, uh, you know, purchases that donate to charity and all these cool things. So that's been really cool too. That's exciting. Yeah, I think, I, I agree. I think that's probably one of the best parts um, about connecting through social media. Dan and I have been able to, to talk to many different people that we would not have been able to communicate with otherwise. We're not on your level with brands and things, but you know, we're doing our best. Um, but to bring it back a little bit uh, back to internal medicine, 
Um, how have you been able to incorporate your, uh, your knowledge of preventative medicine and nutrition into your practice? I talk about nutrition a lot with patients. I try to, obviously, I think I mentioned this previously, there's always a time and a place for medication, but I think we're in a world now where a lot of people would prefer to avoid medication if possible. There's a huge focus on holistic medication, medicine and, and avoiding medication. So having that background definitely helps um, explain to patients what they can do as far as lifestyle modifications to, have, to avoid getting to certain diseases like type two diabetes, high cholesterol, you know, all things that are to a certain degree preventable. Um, definitely it helps having a little bit of a nutrition background and we don't really get that that much in med school. So I did a plant-based nutrition course last year just to learn a little bit more personally. And I hope to at some point take another nutrition course just in general nutrition that I'll be able to use also in my practice. But I think focusing on that and prevention is something that people really want these days and also helps a little bit going to a DO, in my opinion, medical school, just because we have that more holistic mindset. Not that MDs can't do it too. I think they totally can. Um, but I do think that it helps a little bit that we can't kind of come from that background. Mm -hmm. I know. I also, I think our generation in general is more open to trying different diets, changing their diet and, you know, different kind of new workouts that come out. Whereas I tell my mom to give up, I don't know, cheeseburgers. She's going to argue with me for 20 minutes. Like, okay, mom, eat the cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah, mom, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. I had the same conversation with my dad. I was like, maybe you can eat steak like once a week instead of more than that. Um, you know, there's, there's a mindset of, and this is also why I wanted to do that plant-based nutrition course. I don't know if either of you have watched the um, documentary Game Changers. We have this mindset that like, we need to have animal products and protein and all this stuff in our diet. And this is like a whole other conversation that we won't get into, but having that plant-based nutrition course really helped me realize what information I can give to my patients that I think they'll adapt and which ones are just like completely out of left field that they like won't do. You know, like you can't tell someone who has meat and potatoes for dinner every night that they can't eat meat and potatoes, but you can give them some minor changes that will gradually affect their health over time. I think that's the move. Um, I've, I've been a follower of Tim Ferriss for many, many years. And he'll advocate for a diet that might not be perfect, but one that someone will stick to versus the perfect diet that will last two days, because that's not going to help your patient if they're not going to stick to it. So. Totally agree with you. hundred percent agree with you. Yeah. How much of it is the art of communication and being able to convey to your patient, you know, what, like how to, how to eat the right foods and like how much of it is a communication thing and, and being able to say it or rephrase your advice in a different way? 99%. <laughs> um, if you can't explain to your patient in a way that they understand and you can't communicate with them why it's important for them to make these changes, they're going to go home and they're going to say, my doctor told me to do this and I'm going to keep doing what I want to do anyways. Um, that is the biggest thing in my mind to help people make changes is for them to fully understand what the risks are, what the benefits are, why they should do this and what it'll, what effect it'll have on them. I, one of the things I always tell my patients too, is that, you know, I'm not 
them and it's not my body it's theirs so they need to have to make want to make those changes and they need to be the ones who implement those changes i'm not their mom and i'm not going to like sit over them and punish them if they don't listen to me um they have to be the ones to want to do that so if they can understand it and you can communicate to them those reasons i think i think they'll be more willing to try yeah the, they have to have the motivation and with certain things in my life i know i've known the right choice but i just drag it out for a long time and at some point there becomes the click in my head like okay i'm ready to decide and i'm ready to do this for real now and then i never go back but i don't know what it is but it sort of takes you actually making up your mind and i don't know how to make someone else do that they kind of have to do that on their own but you can assist them i guess yeah it's true you can you know obviously guide them um, I will say there's definitely times where I've seen patients a year after their last visit and nothing's changed, but mm -hmm. as long as you're trying to help them, that's really all you can do. The rest is on them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was, yeah, that's very insightful. Um, so, uh, maybe shifting gears a little bit, what, what inspires you or keeps you going to do what you do every day and through your experiences in medicine has have your inspirational or motivating factors changed at all? This is going to sound super cliche, but honestly, it's the feeling of knowing that you're helping people. Um, and I think this is on like every single person's med school application, right? Like I want to help people, but it's true. And it, it is, it's so rewarding when you get like a thank you letter from a patient saying you made a difference in my life or a gift basket saying, you know, like your care really helped my family. It, it's, it's, definitely something that keeps you going and definitely something that makes you realize that what you're doing is not for nothing. Um, so that's, that's been my uh, inspiration constantly is just knowing that I'm able to help people and however I can, whatever way I can. And that's also, like I was saying, the reason why I love the social media aspect of it too, because I'm helping people on social media in different ways that I'm helping people in my practice, you know, while I might be helping a patient get healthier at work, I'm helping a med student realize that they are capable on social media and going after like a dream that they maybe wouldn't have gone after anyways. So helping people in different ways is honestly just what inspires me constantly. Well, you, I don't know if you're aware or not, but you just coming on this podcast will help us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're welcome. <laughs> you're good information. People are going to love it. Even, uh, even just our friends who, we have a lot of friends at our school who, who follow you as well. You oh, well, hi everyone. I'm really glad that really makes me happy. So, you know, and I'm always available if anyone ever wants to reach out. I try very, very hard to read all of my direct messages um, and reply to people in like a somewhat timely manner, which Eric yells at me sometimes because he's like, you're never going to be able to respond to everyone. I'm like, well, if I can, I'm going to try. <laughs> so yeah, if anyone ever needs to reach out to me, I'm, I'm, I always try to be available. So I have another yeah. question about medicine, but first I want to um, ask something since you brought up Eric, is it challenging or are there challenges dating someone or I guess now you're married to someone who is not in medicine, who's someone in a completely different field or is it perfectly fine and normal or? I, there's days where I like both aspects. So there's days where I love that he's not in medicine because I deal with medicine all day long. And then I come home and I don't have to talk about, you know, 
certain things. And then of course there's days where I do want to come home and talk about like what happened during my day and he doesn't fully understand it. Not that he won't listen. Um, he obviously is a great listener, but he doesn't like, I can't just explain things to him in medical terminology and have him be like, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, like that kind of conversation, mm -hmm. which I do wish there was that sometimes, but I do have friends in medicine that I can talk to about that too. So it's not like the end of the world. Mm -hmm. And then I do love, he works in the travel industry. So I do love that I get to reap the benefits of that also. So I can't really complain. I mean, he planned our yeah. whole and we got it at like a really great, great price. So there's benefits to not dating someone in medicine too. Um, and yeah, like I said, just the fact that it's not all we talk about all the time, because I feel like if it was, that would also get really, really tiring. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Eric too. He's great. <laughs> He's a great guy. Yeah. Um, I was wondering with medicine thing, you know, there's always new research. There's always stuff you have to learn and you know, you have to stay on top of that for, for your patients, especially if you're their primary care physician. How do you stay up to date on everything? And are there any fields that you're really excited about kind of moving forward that has good research coming out or you're just really hopeful about the future of certain diseases and stuff going on? Um, so as far as staying up to date, I get, um, I get updates from the AMA. I get updates from the AOA emails daily. I get I'm a part of New England Journal of Medicine and they send me articles all the time. So there's different like journal articles and, and memberships that you can be part of that will send you updates. And so you can make sure you're on top of anything that's changing guidelines that are changing, you know, uh, lung cancer screening guidelines recently changed. So that's something that you need to know to what you should be offering your patients, things like that. So those are great resources to use as a physician to get those updates and to make sure you are on top of everything always. Um, and then as far as new medicine, I think, I think what I'm most invested in right now is obviously COVID and what new medications are coming out, what new options we're going to have, you know, different, the different vaccines that they're producing. Um, that's what my main focus has been on right now, because I think that's what most patients have been asking me about. So I need to make sure that I'm up to date on those topics too. And what I think the future holds for us in that regard, I get asked that constantly and we don't have all the answers yet. So it's nice to know what answers we do have so I can give my patients those responses. Are there any fields like, um, like I don't know, genetics, they're, they're making so many new discoveries with genetics all the time that they just interest you and you kind of keep an eye on even though you don't practice it or? Not particularly, no. I kind of just keep an eye on whatever is whatever is new and whatever is changing. And I read, like I was saying, I read like the updates from those articles and the memberships and that pretty much just, I mean, if there's something that sparks my interest from there, I'll go and read more about it. Mm -hmm. But but typically, no, I like reading about all of it. <laughs> cool. Are there, um, so um, are there any particular uh, challenges or failures that in your career or your personal life um, that you'd like to share with us and uh, how you approach them and um, beat them? My biggest challenge has been my test-taking skills. Um, I didn't do exceptionally well on the MCAT and I knew going into medical school that I was going to probably have some difficulty 
So I had to figure out early on what the best way for me to study was, but I did really great in medical school. I got great, great grades and I never had any issues in medical school. And it wasn't until my step three board exam that I did really, really horrible again. Um, and I actually failed it the first time I took it. And I don't know if it's just because I didn't put enough effort into it. And I didn't, you know, I thought, oh, I'm in residency. This isn't going to be that hard. It's step three. Everyone says it's super easy. And I kind of just like brushed off, like I studied, but maybe not as much as I should have. And so that was a huge wake up call because it wasn't until, it wasn't since I took the MCAT that I really had to like buckle down. And so after that, I took it again, I did better. And then when I was studying for boards, I was a mess because I was like, I failed my step three. I don't know if I'm going to be board certified. I don't know if I'm going to pass. Um, that was probably like the roughest point for me ever since I studied for the MCAT, just because I was so nervous and I did like everything that I could do. I took a couple months off or like a month off, I would say after residency and just studied before I started working. Um, and I really put my all into it and I passed, which was great. But yeah, that to me, that uh, failing step three was like a huge kick in the ass and was like, you need to get your shit together. So mm -hmm. um, I think that taught me and also not doing great on the MCAT, I think made me do better in med school. So I think all of those times that you kind of like fail at something you learn how to improve and do better on the next, the next part. What did you learn about yourself um, that after those experiences that was, you were like, okay, um, you know, I tried this or, you know, maybe I thought about this, this way. Like what were, what were the changes that you made um, that allowed you to overcome those? I think I just realized that I had to put more of a focus on actually applying the information that I was learning. Cause I think, a lot of times you read something and you try and memorize all these facts and it's like so much info and it's hard to to try and figure out what's important and what isn't and i think when you start doing like practice questions and stuff like that you can kind of figure out what you know and what you don't know so for me in particular it was doing more more practice questions and not focusing so much on like the minutia of a book and trying to memorize every single detail and just taking that information and figuring out what part of it I actually needed to know to get the answers to questions right. Um, and I honestly, you know, another thing is I don't think, because there's so many people that have messaged me on social media too that have said, oh, I didn't do well on this exam. Am I going to still be able to be a doctor? And I really don't think that has anything to do with what kind of doctor you are. Obviously, you need to know the information because if not, you're not going to know how to diagnose certain things and how to treat certain things. But the amount of stuff that you have to learn to pass these tests is way, way, way more, I think, than your brain ever really needs <laughs> to diagnose and treat a patient. And also a lot of it is how you interact with your patients, which you can't learn from a book, so. You're right, I learned that yesterday. Um, and the, the whole idea of learning something from a book and then also learning how to apply it I got hit by a train yesterday whenever we did a fake patient encounter. Um, there was another doctor there watching and then he critiqued me afterwards. And there were all these points that the doctor or the, the fake patient said that I should have elaborated on, but I've only heard it in a book and I've been taught so far to just make sure I get my question list. Uh, 
But if it was a real patient and I wouldn't have gone down the rabbit hole of these certain symptoms, I would have missed a potentially fatal <laughs> experience with that patient. So it's, I understand like the difficulty and the, um, the way that experience can help as you learn those things that you've been studying in a book and then actually applying them. There's kind of a separation there that takes a lot of practice. Yeah. And you'll definitely, definitely learn that over time. Like it's almost like it comes to a point where it's second nature when a patient says something and you're like, okay, pause. I want to know more about that. And you know, like what questions to ask and you know, in your mind, like what the differentials could be and what you think the next steps should be. And it kind of just starts coming naturally. Mm -hmm. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you'll get there. I promise. Yep. Nobody has it in the beginning, especially not before you start your clinical rotations because you haven't had any real patient interaction. So it's, it's definitely something that comes with time. For me, it was definitely, um, I was not impressed with my ability yesterday, but it was also kind of fun in a weird way to see, to see me struggle and know that like, wow, I've seen other people do it who, you know, they're normal people too. They're doing it well. So if I can get to that point, that's kind of exciting just to just to know that there is that kind of improvement possible. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So you kind of already answered uh, this question, but I still wanted to ask it. Um, <laughs> do you have, so, you know, a lot of our classmates and medical students in general, they, they don't know what they want to do. And, and, you know, whenever somebody asks them that question, it's always, you know, I would tell rotations and I'll see what I like. And, um, sometimes that's not, you know, the best feeling though, because you're just always studying and, and you don't, really pay attention to the big picture sometimes because you're just so into the minutia like you were uh, mentioning. Um, do you have any advice for students like that who are just really in the dark? They have no idea what they're good at, what, they're, what they like, and um, any other general advice for medical students um, that you wish you had known earlier? I would recommend if they're like not sure any idea what they want to do, not sure where their passions lie, the best thing to do is to take notes while you're on a rotation about what you liked about it, what you didn't like about it, any you know specific pros and cons. Um, and then almost like a journal, I guess. And then you can kind of go back and see at the end of that all, you can kind of, if you're still unsure, because by then you should have a better, a little bit of a better idea. But if you're still unsure, then you can go back and say like, okay, I liked this about this rotation. I didn't like this, I'd like this. And then you kind of have to decide, like, where do you see yourself in the future? Because there's still a bunch of people who finish their rotations and they're like, I really liked emergency medicine, but I also really liked this. Or I really liked internal medicine, but I also really liked this. And you kind of have to make that decision. You have to just like where you're going to apply for residency. So thinking of yourself in the future and picturing, you know, your path down the road, I think is a great idea as far as like, where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Um, what kind of practice do you see yourself in? Outpatient, inpatient? Are you doing procedures? Are you doing surgeries? Are you on call? Kind of like thinking about all of those things will kind of help make a decision. I think if they're like still just really unsure about what they want to do. Okay, so now that you're a physician, you've, you know, you've gone through the challenges of medical school, you made it through residency, you're doing your thing. Um, where do you see yourself in say 10 years? Um, I, I see myself truthfully, right where, right where I am. <laughs> 
Um, I've considered, you know, the whole like starting your own practice kind of thing, but I really like working for a hospital system because yes, I probably don't have the capacity to make as much money as someone in private practice would, but I like the no hassle aspect of the fact that I can go on vacation and someone will cover me. If an employee quits, I don't have to worry about replacing them. If, um, you know, if we're on call and I need coverage, it's not an issue. And it's just this like no stress mentality that I like that I get to go into work and do my job and I don't have to worry about anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have to worry about billing and coding and all of this stuff. I just do what I'm there to do and I go home and that's it. So while private practice in theory is probably great, I, it's just not something I want to do personally. Um, and I really like where I am. I like the doctors I work with. I haven't had any issues with the hospital I'm at so, so far. Um, and I just, yeah, I, I don't, I don't like change very much, so I'll probably be in the same place. Well, that's good because that means that um, that you've made it to a good place that keeps you thriving. So, yeah, hopefully it stays that way. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I don't have any more questions. Do you have any more questions, Raj? I don't. I don't. And uh, we're very um, we're very appreciative of your time, and thank you so much for. Um, coming onto the show and sharing your wisdom with, with us. Of I really course, it's my it. pleasure. We had a blast. Um, can, can you tell everyone where they can find you if they wanna check out your Instagram and any other sort of um, profiles that you want people to find you at? Sure, so my Instagram is Dr. Diaries. My TikTok is also Dr. Diaries. My Twitter, I think is Dr. Erica Wigdor. Um, I don't post on there very much, I do occasionally. Um, and then what else? I also recently joined clubhouse, which I don't know if you guys have been on it yet. It's like a interactive podcast type of situation. So like, I I don't even know if I would say it's a podcast. It's pretty cool. It's like people have interactive discussions with each other. So if you want to go and listen to a bunch of doctors talking about their side hustles, there's like a, a conversation about it that you can listen to or join in if you want. Um, so it's pretty cool. So I just joined that too. And I'm Dr. Diaries on there also. And that's pretty much it. I think I have a website. Uh, it's drdiariesblog.com, which I used to post a lot more on and haven't recently. And I need to work on that, but <laughs> you can go there too. If you want some, some of my older articles that are pretty good. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the medical muse podcast. We definitely appreciate it. Of course. Happy to be here. Thank you for asking me. Yep. The Medical Muse is produced by Timothy Crow. Your hosts are Daniel Epstein and Raj Kavadi. Social media coordinator, Anja Vanderosten. Music on the show by Foxy Music. For more information, check out foxymusic.com. Join us next episode where we talk with Dr. Joseph DiGatano, family medicine physician and educator at Nova Southeastern University. Lastly, we'd love to connect with you. Follow our Instagram, the underscore medical underscore muse, or on Twitter, at medicalmusepod. See you next time.